fitness is first. I, I don't think that there's a high school kid that I've ever seen that comes in completely ready to kind of compete at that level physically, and then that takes a while, and then it comes the physicalness of the game at this level. Attackers really have to make an adjustment to really being pushed around, and it, sometimes that kids that, that can take kids an entire fall, just not being used to the physicality and then the speed of the game. Defensively, it's just a lot to catch catch up. You got to wait until the game starts to slow down for you. So those those freshmen have a hard time, especially if they're out of shape. This is the Fred Opie Show, where we share lacrosse stories and life lessons from coaches, players, parents, and experts. I'm your host, Fred Opie, a former Syracuse University and U.S. national team player. Today on the Fred Opie Show, we speak with George Mason University head lacrosse coach, Jesse Morgan, a native of Baltimore, Maryland. We talk about her high school experience at McDonough High School, her decision to play collegiate lacrosse at the University of Virginia, her experience as the head lacrosse coach at Howard University in Washington, D.C., which is an HBCU, or Historically Black College and University. We also talk about how she vets her prospects, the questions she asks that reveals what kind of players she's dealing with, and her desire to get her players to work at their maximum both on and off the field. She takes a page out of Tom Brady's book and talks about how she has changed her own diet and demands the same of her coaches and her players. Today on the Fred Opie Show, head lacrosse coach, Jesse Morgan. So I know you went to University of Virginia. How did you come about choosing that as your number one choice? Well, I went to a pretty prestigious high school in Baltimore uh, that was, you know, academically rigorous and athletically rigorous. And I wanted the same thing about him. I wanted the same thing out of my collegiate experience. So I chose UVA. What was your major and why did you select that particular major? was an English major, and I chose that major because I thought I was going to be a poet. Do you still write poetry? I don't write anymore. It hurts my soul. Poetry still has a really special place for me, and I still enjoy poetry, but I don't get to do it as much. I don't get to hear as much poetry. I don't get to read as much as I used to. It's really how I started reading. I struggled reading when I was small, and my mom introduced me to poetry because it was short and easy to read and easy for a child to grasp, you know, the concepts. And I just fell in love with it, so I thought that I was going to be a poet. There is a show called Only Your Game, uh, the NPR network, and the uh, host of the show's name is Bill Littlefield. He writes a lot of poetry about sports, and he introduces it throughout his show. I was thinking of him as you were talking, and also that uh, it may be a great outlet for you just to do that. You know, that sounds like those creative juices are probably, or at one point were a big part of your life, and, and I hear a longing to still let that out. So I would encourage you to consider checking out some Bill Littlefield. For sure. Okay. I'm always interested in new things, so it sounds good, and I love NPR. What was your undergrad GPA, do you remember? Probably like a 3.0. You can only get um, two C minuses at UVA, and then you have to take a year off or two grades under a C. It's tough. They don't care if you're the captain of the football team. You will have to take a year off academically if you get consecutive C's on your transcript. 
our cumulative GPA on our team is like a 3.46. Freshmen during their transition have eight hours of study hall, so that that's kind of a requirement through the university, but um, our, our students are do very well. You know, the climate here on the lacrosse team is to, you know, really try academically and athletically, so I, I support it. I'm a lifelong learner, so I really encourage the girls to pursue, you know, academically something that challenges them and something that they're passionate about, like I did. Just finished your, your MBA. What made you decide to pursue the MBA? I wanted to make sure that I always had, you know, a background where I could do and go where I wanted. You know, I went to UVA, I, I got this job at George Mason so that I could always be kind of the master of my own destiny. I don't really want someone else dictating to me when my career is over or where I can go and when I can work. I, I want to be in control at all times. I got my MBA so I can be like a, a, a triple threat here. How did you decide and when did you decide to go into coaching? Coached, I would say, my whole life. When I was in high school or when I left high school, I went back and coached um, when I had, like, a regular job. And then I got a call from Howard University to coach there, and I coached there. So, you know, I've been coaching since I could coach. So let's take you back to your, your senior year UVA. Uh, did you all make it to the tournament that year? Yes. How far did you go in the tournament? The championship game. Did you guys win it your senior year? No, we lost Northwestern. Played in two national championships and lost both of them, so I commiserate with you. Yeah, <laughs> tough. What did you do immediately after school was over? I have a family business in Baltimore that I went right into. I didn't really have to think too much about what I was going to do. It was kind of thought for me. <laughs> Just went into HR for our family business. It's nurse contracting. Yeah, that was my first job out of college. I enjoyed it a lot. I did that for a year until I was called by Howard University to start coaching, and then I did my job and coached for two years at Howard, and I commuted to D.C. every day. So for those that don't know, Howard University, by the way, my older brother is a Howard University grad, so I know the school well. It is a historically black college university, or what we call an HBCU. Also, my first uh, academic job was at Morehouse College down in Atlanta, so I was there how did uh, the job with Howard come about? I have no idea how they found out about me, but I do remember having a conversation with somebody prior to my graduation saying that, you know, Howard is a program that I really could give a lot to. It's, you know, my grandfather went to Howard, my grandmother went to Howard, my uncle went to Howard. It's just, you know, historically in our community, it, it has a special place. And uh, I do think that the Howard lacrosse team could be a good lacrosse team. Definitely think in the right hands. It could do very well. I got to do that for two and a half years. I was grateful for that experience. What's your, your, your record like? We didn't have enough players. Like, we played probably my first year, we played all 100% of the games man down. 12 v 11. I still think that I saw some of the best athletes. I mean, I had Sakita Holly. She scored 13 goals in one game. Like, wow. I've never seen anything like it. She was unbelievable. Hands down, she could have played at Virginia. Yeah, so just really dynamic athletes that I just don't think got the exposure of, you know, what other teams get. But some of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. How did you respond to that? 
obviously not ideal. I wish we could have had enough players. I wish we could have had a bench or subs and things like that, which would have came if I had stayed for a few more years. It, it would have come. It wasn't, so there's nothing you can get frustrated about. It is what it is, and you do the best job you can with what you got. There's no point in wishing for something that's not going to happen. It didn't matter. It was good. We were fine. You know, we worked with what we had, and imagine what it built in those girls. Uh, Howard University's Division One. Wow. You had scholarships to recruit players? They're fully funded. So going into your second year, you were able to bring in some players? For sure. Able to bring in players, able to recruit. You get somebody to come to Howard for homecoming weekend, they're coming to Howard. I think that it could really be a great university if put in the right hands. It, it has enough talent, it has enough resources to do very well. You know, at George Mason, I'm not fully funded, so Howard has a leg up. You can compete with anyone when you have the money. Can you unpack, for those who aren't familiar with, a Howard homecoming? Howard homecoming is a uh, like not like any other homecoming. I mean, I wouldn't say you know their football team hasn't been great, but it's really not about the football team. I mean, it's about the band. It's about alumni come from all over the country back to Howard University. You know, famous people come back to Howard University. It's just a huge homecoming for a lot of the African American community. You know. I, I didn't go to Howard, but I had been to Howard Homecoming. I go to the Steph show. I go to, you know, I didn't pledge Greek. I didn't have really the time commitment necessary for that. But I, all my friends are AKAs or Deltas, so I, I fell into that. And it's just a great, great experience. You go to Howard Homecoming, you're coming to Howard if you're a college kid. <laughs> How did you pay for your undergraduate degree? My mother paid for my college and she paid for my high school and she paid for my middle school and she paid for my lower school and I had an academic scholarship. I'm not really sure. She didn't really, she allowed me to kind of do what I had to do and I didn't graduate with any, I, my mom worked really hard to send me to school. What is the tuition at your school? Well, in state it's 20 something, I would say like 21, 22 and out of state is about 41. I recruit the best athletes. I don't care where they're from. We're not getting that many Virginia kids. I hope that they start coming around, but they're not. I do think it's a great choice for Virginia kids because basically you're you're starting off with a 50% scholarship and nobody gets a 50% scholarship. So it's a great deal. Right now we probably have about three kids on the team that are in-state. What is the quality of uh, girls across in the state of Virginia? People might not want to hear this, but I'm going to be completely honest that it's it's very low, and that's just because uh, lacrosse and soccer have to compete with each other, and it's ridiculous. And they need to take the model of soccer in the fall and lacrosse in the spring because, you know, everyone plays soccer. You know, everyone grows up playing soccer. Virginia is a huge soccer sport, so a majority of the athletes choose soccer, and that's just how it is, and um, it, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. I find it absolutely ridiculous that a sport has two seasons. So you got fall soccer, you got spring soccer, and therefore, you know, what happens is lacrosse is cannibalizing soccer, soccer is cannibalizing lacrosse, and in Massachusetts, we're a huge state for ice hockey. And ice hockey, I grew up playing ice hockey. So that season will start in, say, October. And I have uh, a student athlete uh, who's playing for me now, again, sixth grade girl, 
delightful girl, but she just came out of the championship game for her season. We're here in May. So at, at some right. point, am I hearing the same thing in Virginia, that there's a two-soccer season? Oh, for sure. Soccer rules here. I, I just, I don't, I really don't understand the benefit for for co- for coaches and sports to think that twice twice as much is good because most coaches that I talk to at the college level say they prefer to recruit a, a multi-sport athlete. Is that your opinion as well? A thousand percent. I think that allowing kids to play multiple sports it should be a priority, but. It's it's also hard because these club teams are making a lot of money, and when kids can play together for 12 months out of the year, of course they're going to be better than the kids that just show up for games. Specializing has benefits of some kind, but they don't have long-term benefits. You know, I think it has short-term benefits, which some people only care about the short-term. It's hard to convince people that playing volleyball and soccer and I don't even care, croquet, would be better than just playing one sport for 12 months out of the year. Why is it better to play multiple sports? My mind, my coaching mind, my IQ was sharpened in other sports. I have a basketball mind. I'm not thinking about lacrosse when I'm coaching lacrosse. If I thought about lacrosse, I'd be 12 steps behind everybody. But I kind of have an advanced concepts because I grew up playing basketball and I know how to break a ride and I know how to do a zone press and I know how to do, you know, these things. And the girls that also play basketball understand those concepts. They understand a pick and roll, you know, and you can play all the soccer you want. You will never understand a pick and roll unless you've played basketball. You know, you can play, you can play all the lacrosse you want, but you kind of need those different concepts. Uh, I take a lot from, I I was a big uh, volleyball player in high school, and I take a lot from that sport. You have to be in the right positioning, defensive positioning, movement, agility, all come out of the sport of volleyball, which people, some people would never be able to correlate, but I correlate every day, those sports. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty big into, like, jiu-jitsu and those martial arts and things like that, so I kind of bring everything into one big melting pot of information and, and use that. If I was still on the same, using the same concepts that everybody else uses, what type of advantage is that? What kind of relationships are being developed when the kids are playing multiple sports? So we talked about the expertise, maybe soccer all year round, or just as bad lacrosse all year round. But we also, again, I, I have student athletes that are playing soccer, gymnastics, and then they're on two different lacrosse teams. And I'm wondering what kind of relationships and depth of relationship are you developing with your teammates when you don't know where you are <laughs> the next day? It's like, what game am I playing in? Well, you could play in this game, or well, you could play. Or I, this is no joke when I say this. I showed up at the field, I think it was Sunday, and one of our players, I looked out in the field, and I said to the other coach, well, again, we're volunteers, so we're not getting paid for this. I said, who's that? This is, you know, we started playing back in what early march and there are people showing up that i have never seen before oh there's a lot of things harmful things that are happening i don't think kids get to play like for fun you know playing a sport with college coaches surrounding the field 
and, you know, people judging and evaluating you isn't like playing football in your backyard, you know, where you can experiment and you can try new things and you can kind of be yourself. And, you know, and when you play all these sports, when are you actually going full speed if you have a game tomorrow and the next day in practice? You know, when can you really go all out? I think we're teaching kids kind of how, how to save. And then when they get to college and they do have to go all out, you know, their muscles can't do it. They they've they've been saving their whole life. They don't know how to get a hundred percent out, you know, because they've been playing game after game after game. I mean, I talk to the soccer coach about it all the time, and he's the biggest issue is that athletes are kind of really excelling at seventy five percent in high school. The show will be right back for related content on negotiating the world of school and sports. Visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend. Share the show on Facebook and Twitter or send them to our website at fredopi.com. Hey, listeners, first, we want to thank you for listening to the Fred Opie Show podcast. There are over 4,000 podcasts out there, and you took the time to listen to this one, and we appreciate it. If you're enjoying this interview with Jesse Morgan, go to our podcast archive where you'll find similar interviews. Check out our interview with Olympic and Harvard University hockey coach Katie Stone. You may not know this, but Coach Stone played collegiate lacrosse at the University of New Hampshire as well as ice hockey. And the team she played on at UNH won a Division I national championship in lacrosse. Here's a listen to that interview we did with Coach Katie Stone. It's significant as our kids are coming in injured now because of overuse. At least half our freshman class for the last couple of years has been out at one point or another early on in the season because of overuse injuries. That's the nature of the beast in the sense that, you know, everybody thinks more is better and we're going to get, you know, we're going to have more opportunities or we're going to end up going to this college and that college because we, we're going to everything and everybody's seeing us. At the end of the day, the good, the good players rise to the top. If they're going and playing in all these tournaments, you know, they play five, six games in a weekend, I mean, it's craziness. They're playing so much that I don't necessarily think they're getting better because you get better in practice. You show how good you are in games. We'll be right back. For more interviews and related content, go to www.fredopi.com. Now back to the show. What do you got to tweak to get them ready mentally and physically for competition in the spring? Fitness is first. I, I don't think that... There's a high school kid that I've ever seen that comes in completely ready to kind of compete at that level physically, and then that takes a while. And then it comes the physicalness of the game at this level. Attackers really have to make an adjustment to really being pushed around, and it, sometimes that, kid, that, that can take kids an entire fall, just not being used to the physicality and then the speed of the game. Defensively, it's just a lot to catch catch up. You got to wait until the game starts to slow down for you. So those those freshmen have a hard time, especially if they're out of shape. Do you have a, a workout that you send to the players before they come? 
we do. We have a fall packet that we kind of send out and try to get them working out. You know, you just if you're good, you know, I was pretty good in high school, top athlete. Like I didn't run for, you know, I didn't really run, like really, really exercise. I learned how to run when I got to Virginia. And, you know, it kind of instilled a love of running sort of in me, sort of, kind of. But, As you um, said, you said sort of, kind yeah. of. <laughs> well, I knew, I knew it was a ways to a means. If I wanted to be the best player, it had to happen. I had to start loving it, you know. So I basically ran until I loved it. Wow. Because I wanted to be good so bad. So I wa- I'm not a natural runner. Like, nothing about me says runner. I'm not long and lanky. I'm not, you know, whatever. I was I'm, I was probably played at 150 pounds. I'm like 130 now, but I was, I wouldn't say I was heavy. I was just strong. Strength was my thing. I was the strongest girl in the field, not the fat. Not the fastest, I'm not slow, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I couldn't run for miles and miles and miles like some of my teammates. That was probably the <laughs> biggest transition for me. I had never lifted weights before, never went out running on my own. When I got to Syracuse, I quickly started doing that. So how do you convince the kid who thinks, well, I've been scoring five goals a game, or I've been shutting down the other player, I'm good. Yeah, you can't. You can't. They'll, get, they'll get here and figure it out. day one there's nothing you can tell somebody it's like you know dating you know when you get a young kid and they break up with their boyfriend you know you want to say you're probably not gonna you know like it was never really gonna happen you can't tell anybody that (laughs) like it's just not something you listen to it's something you have to learn on your own it's a growing pain as much as we would like to as as parents or or high school or youth coaches see our players succeed some of it you're just going to have to figure out when you get in the mix. I, I would agree and say that 80%, maybe higher from what you're saying, come in unprepared for what they're really going to be dealing with. Yeah, it, it's going to be a shock. It's definitely a shock to the system, but real competitive kids and real athletes, it doesn't take them long to get it. Like, oh, let me get this. You know, I need to concentrate on this. I need to run more on my own, things like that. But some kids just aren't about that life. How I explain it, you know, they're not about that life. They don't want to be that good. They don't want to be, you know, the best. They're okay with coming in last. I don't recruit those players. They don't do well in my program. That's for sure. Um, this is what I'm thinking. Unless you're with somebody for three days, how can you see what you're just talking about? Just like real estate, there's often buyer's remorse because you think you're getting this from what you saw, but then they get there on campus and you realize you got a really talented person who doesn't work hard. I mean, that's why it's really important to be very honest with people or the type of coach or the type of expectations you have. I am a competitive person, so I try to create a very competitive environment, and I explain that to recruits, and I say, you know, when you run in high school, where do you come in? You know, if you're running a sprint, I ask this question, like, are you last, are you in the middle, are you in the front, you know? And I can tell by way a kid answers the question. Are they confident in their running? And if they're not, I try to get out of them like, you better get confident. Or, or it's not going to happen. You you have to ask questions, and you have to ask questions that people might not like, or you have to ask questions and answer them in a way that they might not like your answer, but it has to be honest, or you're going to be paying for it later. <laughs> you're going to have buyer's remorse. 
Yeah, like I'd much rather say things that people don't like or really express how I feel that now than later than when we've both invested time, energy, and money into something. I expect them to do pull-ups, and, you know, we have minimums for, for weightlifting, things like that, like squat 200 pounds, bench 100 pounds. Those are, you know, run a 645-mile. Those are minimums. So they know this coming in, that you're going to be tested in pull-ups, squats, bench, and what else? Uh, the mile. Where do you develop these, these uh, you know, these criteria? Well, I knew we needed a baseline. You needed a, a standard. You know, every team, you you know, you're only as good as your weakest link thing. So I needed our weakest link to be a, of a higher standard. So I kind of built that standard in the weight room and, you know, in terms of conditioning. It's hard for some kids. It would be hard for me. Like right now, I could not run a 645 mile. But if I knew that my coach asked that of me, I'd die before I didn't get it. You know, I never didn't pass a run test. That doesn't even make sense to me. You know, there's the old saying, fake it till you make it. Do you think that's true in that interview process? Can somebody put on like they're confident when they're really not? I think it's really hard because it's so much you have to do. It's your body language. It's what you say. It's what you don't say. It's how you look at someone. You know, that's a lot of faking. You should go into drama because, <laughs> because uh, you're doing a lot, you know. And basically, if you're that good, like, fine, <laughs> you know. You could fake it all the way through if you wanted to, but that's hard. It's hard. Tell me a little bit about your retention rate. Very few people play college sports for four years. I've never lost a kid that could contribute to this school. Uh, one kid left who, you know, his mother got sick. Okay. And that was a contributing kid, but she wanted, needed to move closer to home. But, you know, she's still a huge fan of George Mason. Mm -hmm. um, but every kid that we've lost, like, they signed up for another George Mason. They signed up for a, a lighter load, an easier, you know, path. And this is not that. So I think... It hurts me to lose any kid, but I've never lost a kid that I thought this was a good fit for. I've lost kids where I would totally agree with them that this probably isn't for you. What's the profile of a good fit? Who's going to make it into your pool of potential student-athletes? A good fit here is somebody who's going to just work hard every day. You know, that's really all I ask. I'm not necessarily asking you to be the best lacrosse player in the country. I just want you to be the best you. You know, if you're trying hard, let's say your best effort is a 730 mile, but you are busting your hump to do it, I'm fine with it. You know, let's say you're in there doing extra, you shoot, you do things. Like, the expectation is that you're going to want to be the best that you can be academically and athletically. Mm -hmm. That's all I need. Mm -hmm. And whatever that is. You know, if that's a B student, if that's a C student, if that's an A student, more than likely it's going to be higher than a C here. Like, I don't have kids that do bad in school. I don't, because the expectation is there. I have an expectation, and, you know, kids just kind of follow it. It works that way. Because everyone around you expects more from you. Like, it's, you're not the only one. You would have been the only one just, like, looking silly. Like, oh, okay, I can't. Like, you're not correlation to your intelligence. It might be to the effort that you might have put in or something like that. 
But if it isn't, like, let's say you did really, really try. Mm-hmm. And I, everyone's really, really is different. You know, kids come in, oh, my gosh, I tried. And I'm like, no, no, you didn't. Bring your work in. I'll show you what trying looks like. You know, and it's totally different. It's going to the professor. It's going to office hours. It's doing extra problems. It's rereading the entire book, you know, and that's the type of effort that I kind of need. You know, when you say you really tried your hardest, it better be your hardest. How have your eating habits changed since you were a freshman? I really didn't see a change in my physique after college until I changed my diet. If I could run a six whatever mile, I could lift, I could squat, I could do all those things. But um, after college, because I started working, I I just couldn't work out as much. And I was eating the exact same. And I was like, well, something's got to change. You know, like, I, I can't just continue to eat like this. So I, I was a vegetarian for a while. Um, now I don't really restrict my diet that much. When I was getting in shape for my uh, wedding, I, I went vegan and I was probably the smallest I've ever been but uh I think changing your diet is really if you want to change your physique it starts on the dinner plate you know if you want abs things like that you want like cut up shoulders and arms and things like that you can't eat like this is your last meal which is kind of how I see eat. <laughs> <laughs> you said it's so, like my last meal I love that <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I never ate, like, I don't, I've never, my mother, we never had pizza, you know, I never had McDonald's. My mom cooked me, to this day, she'll cook me breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it'll be, you know, pancakes, eggs, sausage, you know, full lunch, full dinner with everything, everything. So my mom just fed me well. She fed me like you'd want to be fed. It was great. But I was the most active little girl you've ever seen. (laughs) So it was fine growing up. And then when I went to college, I thought I could continue eating like that. And I did. But then after college, it had to go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So think about, uh, do you guys have a pre-meal game that you require the girls to come? And and when you're traveling, do you give them per diem or do you have set meals? No, I have set meals. I do restrict kind of what they do. Some people think I'm crazy, but I I do believe that, you know, this is the analogy that I use, that you don't put regular gas inside a Ferrari. You know, a Ferrari has to run on high-test gas. Then, you know, it's a high-performance car. So if you consider yourself a high-performance athlete, you have to have high-test fuel. You know, you can't run on bad, you know, non-organic or non-healthy food. You have to run on the best food you can consume because that's your fuel. So that's how my analogy for it. So you got a game tomorrow at uh, at, at 4 o'clock. What's the pregame okay. meal going to be? What's the menu you're going to ask for? We usually just do vegetables, mixed vegetables, salads, some type of lean chicken, and uh, a pasta. And then the game's over, you guys won, it was a blowout. Uh, what's the post-game meal going to be? Parents usually put on a tailgate, and they'll do all kinds of things. But I don't let them eat sweets. You know, we're not eating cookies and brownies after games. You might have just lost some recruits with that comment. Listening I know. To this. Which is fine. <laughs> you're not for me. It wasn't meant to be, you see. The sacrifice. And if you're not willing to sacrifice a brownie, which the girls eat plenty of brownies, I just want to say, like, just on my time, I'm not going to promote that. 
You know, I want to promote, when you're with me and we're playing lacrosse, I promote what what I speak every day. I walk the talk, I talk the talk, you know, I don't eat it. So I don't expect you to eat it. You know, I take care of my body. I take care of, or I monitor what's kind of going in my mouth. I, I want to eat high fuel intake food. So sorry, <laughs> you don't want to win a national championship today. <laughs> Where did this come from with you? I saw the biggest change when I started changing what I ate. When I ate what I wanted, I was strong and I was fast, but I wasn't the best I could have been. I was the best. You know, like, do you hear what Tom Brady eats? He's 40 years old. You know, he doesn't put things in his body that are not completely beneficial to his career. I think I heard he, like, doesn't eat tomatoes, you know? Like, nothing goes in his body that, like, would support like inflammation or yeah. you know things like that and that he's 40 years old playing in the nfl if that doesn't speak to this nothing else does to me like those athletes don't eat whatever they want they're not eating brownies i can tell you that right now was a marshall lynch in uh in the skittles yeah. you're saying skittles. <laughs> tom brady says he's in better shape than he was when he was a rookie yeah and he thinks he can play till 45 and um, he's, you know, like, I don't know what Marshawn Lentz eats besides Skittles. Like, who knows? Who knows? That guy's pretty remarkable. But I'm just saying he's 45. Like, he's trying to play till 45. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. How has your exercise have a change from your freshman year in college to now? Oh, freshman year in college, I probably hadn't run more than a mile ever in my life. Like, the longest distance I had run before I went to UVA was one mile. And that quickly changed when I went to UVA. Quickly changed. So, um, now I run for fun. I practically run every day, I'd say. But my body, you know, I'm trying not to crush my body. So, sometimes I'll mix it up. But I do treadmill workouts probably four days a week. You know, interval training. Or I'll lift, you know, whenever I can. Um you know, you only got one body. Your health is the most important resource anyone has. So I really do try to take care of myself. And I think that it is a part of my marketing, you know, how I condition myself and how I carry myself is a testament to how I run my program. I sacrifice, you know, I, I get put a lot into what I do every day. I can't be doing one thing and then my assistant's doing a totally not, uh, different thing. So they know, I mean, I've had conversations. They can't drink soda on the road either, and they, they hate me for it, but they'll be fine. <laughs> you know, they can't eat cookies. The, a part of the discussion this year was like, you know, the girls aren't eating certain things and neither are you. <laughs> you know, and in the past I've allowed, you know, an assistant coach to get a Coke when we go to Chipotle. But this year it was just I need total buy-in, you know, and they, and they did it, even if it was begrudgingly. Like, it's just how it has to be. And when they have their own program, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> you know. <laughs> This is my house. When you get your house, you can do whatever you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I tell the girls, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Like, it's your turn now. I ain't got to do it. I don't have to run a 645 mile. Just start there. But I've done it. I don't ask anyone to do something that I wouldn't do. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. I would never ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Thanks again for listening to the show contact us if you're interested in advertising on the show 
The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend. Share the show on Facebook and Twitter or send them to our website at fredopi.com. Thanks for listening and be good.